the Golden State Warriors are now four-time NBA champions in eight years. The core of Steph, Clay, Draymond has been there and big parts of it. For all that, Andre Iguodala was there as well. Steve Kerr is now a four-time NBA champion coach and nine-time NBA champion overall. And in the end, this series, as tenuous as it seemed for Golden State after Game 3, even in the middle of Game 4, down 5 with about 8 minutes left, ultimately, the series wasn't that close because of Golden State's defense. It really was an impressive defensive series for the Warriors and that capstone coming in their Game 6 victory. The Boston Celtics yet again, not only under 100 points, but held to 90 points a 96.8 offensive rating, a an 81.8 first shot half court offensive rating. And that was a team effort. Draymond Green was absolutely spectacular. Andrew Wiggins had moments, Gary Payton, Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson had some big defensive plays as well. And it, it was appropriate, I thought. And we'll talk plenty about the context of this, both for the Warriors and overall, is that there has always been this undercurrent, and it being on the night when Stephen Curry deservedly won Finals MVP, that the Splash Brothers and the offensive firepower has always been at the forefront of the discussions about the Golden State Warriors. But what has made them truly special, what makes them a dynasty, is that they combined that electric offense with the league's best defense over this run of time. And in every series where they've truly been challenged where they've been down it's been the defense that ultimately allowed them to squeeze the life out of their opponents whether it was memphis the first time they were down 2-1 in the Kerr era in 2015 cleveland down 2-1 in the nba finals in 2015 clay thompson referenced that uh, when they were down 2-1 that it kind of felt like 2015 in that respect and then 2016 against oklahoma city being down 3-1 yes the offensive performance was amazing but their defense was always there always rock solid houston down 3-2 in 2018 the defense was there and then in this series as well being down 2-1 they totally squeezed the life out of this celtics offense despite the celtics again shooting pretty well from three when it was all over so we had come into this game six after the game five thinking it could kind of go one of two ways I, i was giving the warriors more of a chance i think than a lot of people in this game six because again i just didn't think that the celtics had a solution for golden state's defense and jason tatum looked totally exhausted and that was the case again tonight that he their best player had no answers whatsoever and so you felt like hey maybe this golden state is just gonna exert their will and boston's just gonna run out of energy but the game started off having you referencing another golden state game six up three two that's right and that was game six of the 2016 nba finals and that game gets lost in the shuffle partially because of how memorable games five and seven were but in game six the Cavs came out super hot early I was in in the gym in Cleveland and they dominated the early going they had a comfortable first quarter league lead and never looked back and it's like oh it's going to be game seven and the Boston Celtics after Jason Tatum step back led 14 to 2 in the three minutes and 57 seconds into this contest and you go I mean they everything pretty much went right for the Celtics the Warriors had a couple of turnovers those were often steals they were missing missing shots Steph Curry and Klay Thompson had also both committed early fouls and we wondered if that was going to be significant and then the defense took over they got 
more than enough from Stephen Curry. And I mean, so, I mean, there was that, the run at the end of the quarter. So Boston had, they had 14 points in that first 357. And then they scored eight points in the rest of the quarter. It eventually culminated in a, like a 21 to zero run during that time. And the 21 is important, but the zero is really important there too. Yeah. Jordan Poole came in the game and he scored a bunch of points was plus 23 at one point. It hit a couple of big threes, hit a yet another banked a three-pointer as well which was lucky but he hit three out of four from downtown in that stretch the only miss being rebounded by Draymond on the offensive glass and I think the biggest thing and then kick back to pool the biggest thing that stuck with me through that stretch was just I it felt like the way that Boston had to win was just by out hustling Golden State as they did in game three and just riding the energy of the crowd and hitting the offensive glass and getting out of transition and getting every loose ball and in Instead, really, it was Golden State that was doing that. And they forced a ton of turnovers in the first half, which was a big problem. They had 12 turnovers, six Warriors steals, but then a couple others where there are deflections that just ended up going out of bounds in favor of the Warriors. Draymond Green, to me, had possibly his best game of these playoffs overall on the defensive end. I mean, some of the plays that he made were just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I think to the last two and a half games or so, he solidified himself as still potentially the best defensive player in the NBA in the playoffs just for incredibly how incredibly well-rounded he was to be both guarding Jalen Brown for large periods of this series and causing him to have some bad games while then also being this incredible help defense monster double teaming Jason Tatum getting deflections forcing misses at the rim he was just an absolute terror he was joined by Gary Payton the second in the first half who was just getting his hands on on all sorts of balls he was fantastic as well and really Golden State went on a 52 to 19 run they led by 15 at halftime after having been up by as much as 21 in that half their shooting was ridiculous also and it was really Danny it probably should have been a 25 point halftime lead like almost a Mav Suns type of thing had it not been for what Robert Williams did in that first half. Robert Williams absolutely phenomenal overall in the contest in that first half the Celtics were plus three when he was on the floor Robert Williams played 17 minutes of the first 24 he was plus three and the Warriors led by 15 so plus three negative 18 I I said it was Embiid-esque in game five it was Embiid-esque again in a lot of game six and Williams was contesting everything around the rim and we will give him plenty of credit but something I want to mention here as we're kind of working through it the Boston's Celtics on that same front, they shot 17 of 42 in the paint in this game. That's 40%. The Warriors do not have Robert Williams, but they do have plenty of good help defenders, rim protectors. And uh, and that doesn't even include all the steals that the Warriors generated, which are not missed shots. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason Tatum was wildly inefficient in the paint in the series. And again, in this game, he only had, I think, two points during the competitive portion of the second half. And that was set up on a great backdoor pass by Robert Williams. So he really struggled. He just could not generate efficient offense, even when it was against Steph Curry. Steph Curry stripped him twice on the same possession. Well, and it, and it, was, so, it was so memorable and notable in the first half that Jason Tatum, he hit two mid-rangers which ended up being the only two mid-rangers he made in the entire game when Kavon Looney was guarding him. When it was anybody else 
he wasn't really getting loose and he wasn't making those shots. And Tatum is a wonderful player. He has an extremely bright future ahead of him. But we saw Brown and Tatum in particular have some bright moments, but also get completely discombobulated by this Warriors man-to-man defense, by the help that was presented and the timing of the help presented. Yeah. And this Warriors defense just was that good. They really were. And after the Memphis series, by the way, that Warriors defense is what won them that Memphis series when they were looking like they were in trouble too that game four and game six when they couldn't do anything on offense they still won both of those games because their defense was even better than memphis's in the end and so they do it in a totally unconventional way it wasn't necessarily as much switching as it had been during the regular season it wasn't necessarily that in the dallas series when they avoided putting steph and jordan Poole onto luca mostly because luca was just that good and then in this series they did go back to switching they're comfortable with that mostly but they varied it up some they avoided switching unless they absolutely had to and then they would step out hard and make the guy retreat and then the shot clock was late and they had help position and there wasn't any off-ball movement going on and they just ground the life out of boston's offense they got some post-ups early they tried to get some one-on-one plays against Steph or al horford ducked in against clay on the first play of the game but they couldn't really sustain that at all either and just the incredible communication of golden state i remember there was one play where they ran this incredibly intricate ato in the second half they had three interactions that occurred with guys where they tried to slip out of it couldn't get it finally the last one they had grant williams setting a pin down and the play was that grant williams out of the corner instead of was going to slip out of that pin down and cut to the rim and gary payton the second recognized it i think it was with andrew wiggins switched onto it and then he disrupted that pass and they threw it out of bounds and it was just like that level of communication the lack of mistakes I mean, the number of system buckets that the celtics had after game one when golden state was kind of doing a bunch of janky stuff on defense was minimal they had maybe two in this game and it was like surprising that they even got those and the communication in terms of help plays if one guy got driven by the next guy would step up and they wouldn't even necessarily peel switch it would be switching onto the big who was already waiting there not even you see a late switch in pick and roll you don't necessarily see a switch just onto the guy whose man just helped on a straight line drive off a closeout and they did that and Draymond got a steal off of that it was just all year their defense was amazing when they were whole and that's what won them this and we there's plenty of time to talk about the incredible offense and Steph's incredible series but that to me was just indelible and this is a Boston team that actually scored reasonably well against Milwaukee in the end they had some rough moments but like Jason Tatum went for 46 against that Bucks defense in that game six well and 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 on that line I think it's worth taking a beat to go through some of the overall numbers for Boston's best players in this series and I'm going to focus yeah. on true shooting and usage because you know that's that's more it's not about how many about shots and everything else like that Jason Tatum 48% true shooting on 28% usage Jalen Brown, 54% true shooting on 28% usage. Marcus Smart, 54% true shooting on 21 usage. Derek White, 48% true shooting. And, and what were the turnover percentages for Braun and Tatum, by the way? I don't have that handy. I'm using NBA's. NBA doesn't have that in the same place. Oh, all right. Well, how many turnovers per game did they have? Oh, sure. Then? That I can. Tatum averaged 3.8 turnovers per game. Brown, 3.3. Smart, 3.2. Those were the three highest turnover rates per game of anybody in the entire series so that was more than Steph more than Draymond actually not as many as I thought it would be those guys had some pretty ugly turnover games but I think they changed over who it was 
And so it never it never like all went on on the same ledger. <laughs> and and on that note, I brought up before the series that during the regular season, the Golden State Warriors had a plus 14.7 net rating when Draymond Green and Stephen yep. Curry shared the floor. And the offense was good during those minutes. 114.9 cleaning the glass. That's 71st percentile. The reason that group was elite 99th percentile on defense 100.2. And the Warriors have put together at times in other years lineup with either all above average or better defenders and usually a lot of elite ones they were able to put together some lineups that kind of had that sort of a feel especially when Peyton and Draymond Green played together but I think one of the real accomplishments of this year's team Steve Kerr the coaching staff along with of course the players is that they were able to make do with you know more limited defenders on the floor they were able to to make to make those groups fearsome and competitive and cause problems for even the best teams in the NBNB. Yeah, and I think there's going to there's been some sentiment that and we've addressed this some before, but since this is a, our sum up of kind of this season and this, this championship run for Golden State, this feeling that this wasn't really that high quality of a finals, these were two flawed teams that weren't that good. And I just vehemently disagree with that. I think both of these teams when you look at what they did when they were whole were awesome. You mentioned that 14.7 net rating they started the season 18 and 2 and I think with Draymond and Steph in the lineup they were something like 28 and 7 and then Boston was just kicked the tar out of the entire league after the beginning of January and had some very dominating performances against some good teams like Boston did have a few games where they let up and and were vexing and, and lost some games at home and their clutch offense was a little bit concerning but this is also a defense that was just amazing and the Bucks the Heat like they couldn't score on these guys they really locked up the nets pretty well in the first round and so and even this golden state team they caused problems for and rob williams was certainly someone they couldn't deal with the horford only minutes when in which they were again negative 18 in seven minutes in the first half were a different animal but i think there's a lot of frustration like oh the celtics they're just like fucking around they're turning it over like if they could just not turn it over like they'll be fine in this series they'll win yeah but golden state forced these turnovers like you could say maybe some of them are dumb but like they're they weren't beating guys well enough to create the advantage and when they did the help was unbelievable and i mean if just andrew wiggins he wasn't thought of this way before he damn well should be now if he's not the best three and d player in the league he's damn close to it he is really difficult to score on in an isolation luka Doncic couldn't do it jason tatum sure as fuck couldn't do it john morant maybe was, was probably the guy who had the most success against him although even he was hunting other guys and you know draymond green is still would have been the defensive player of the year this year if he hadn't gotten hurt and i think he solidified himself again as i was saying as the best defensive player in the playoffs by the end of this when you consider his versatility and, and gary payton the second is like one of the best defensive guards i've ever seen in my life and it, it's funny you know you and i did this game for playback and there is this incredible recency bias that comes in when you think about the crucible of the playoffs and each round typically context depending you're facing stronger and stronger opposition and there was this question about like oh is this the last year for al horford or oh he's been so he's so he's been so bad al horford has had some really really good runs during this playoffs it was that the warriors on both ends of the floor challenged him in ways that other teams did not and it is worth remembering that we don't evaluate whether a player is good or not by by their five or six most recent games we have a much larger sample that we can work with and you know I, I hearken back we did this um i talked about this on spotify live this past week you know i cut my teeth learning basketball real 
really honestly on Ben Hallen's UCLA teams when I was there. And it was something that I remember as, you know, college students, we would mock all the time, which was all of these teams would talk about like, or the fans would talk about, oh, we just missed all our shots. We just looked so bad against it. It's like, yeah, that's what good defenses do. And it is too reductive. It is incorrect. It is improportionally credit to blame, even if they are flawed offensive players, instead of praising elite defense. And I mean, you can think about the, there was a Draymond play where Al Horford actually beat him. And then Draymond Green somehow recovered to the same side. He just basically appeared enough to strip the ball from Al Horford. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he got beat right and then somehow got to the right side of Al Horford from behind and knocked it away. And Al Horford tried to save it and it went out of bounds. They're just, you know, and even Clay Thompson had a rough start to his defense as he came back from this Achilles injury and he was getting torched in the Memphis series and he couldn't deal with Luka at the beginning of the Dallas series and Jalen Brown they had to take him off of Jalen Brown after game one he held up exceedingly well in the last three games of the series like he's actually he did note that Andrew Wiggins now has the job that he used to have of chasing the primary guy all around but as the secondary guy he was fine Jalen Brown abused him early in the series like Jalen Brown wasn't able to do that to him he took got into the lane and Clay was bothering his shot and forced some bad misses in these last few games even so uh, this is a and Kevon Looney is easily one of the best defensive center in the NBA and one of the best rebounding centers in the NBA as well like their defensive rebounding again was pretty good throughout most of this series so anyway you saw and Steph Curry for a weak link is probably as a fifth defender is probably one of the best guys certainly one of the best defending guard stars I would have to put him above Chris Paul at this point there and, and even Jordan Poole had a big defensive play where he stopped yeah. stopped Marcus Smart and helped he, he's yeah. still he, bad he got a little but bit he better a, yeah he's still he's still bad but he got a little bit better uh, as well and and so, and so yeah I mean then the Warriors they got some even though I was worried that he couldn't move very well they also got some important minutes from Otto Porter who again got the starting role I said on playback that they should pull him and then he immediately hit two three-pointers which was the joy of basketball is that uncertainty and I think now, though, we should talk about the finally christened finals MVP, Stephen Curry. And for this game, Curry, 34 points, 12 of 21 from the field, 6 of 11 from three, 6 of 9 on twos, 7 assists, only 2 turnovers. And overall for the series... Well, well and before you get to the series numbers, I mean, I, I thought it was just, again, at the as the Celtics were making their last desperate comeback attempt, they still they went to Steph Curry in high pick and roll first possession they switch Al Horford onto him Steph Curry blows by him for a layup after he had blown by Marcus Smart the defensive player of the year for a layup uh, on a previous possession and the difference with Steph Curry now and maybe one I didn't even fully appreciate until these playoffs and maybe we didn't even see it until then was just how much being stronger helped his driving game because they were not calling these put the forearm on him touch fouls that they you know supposedly are going to call he just didn't get that call in this series and so you you can think back to the end of game four when Al Horford switched onto it basically just like forearmed him three times so Steph Curry's like okay I'm gonna get the advantage on you go ahead put your hands on me I'm not gonna flop I'm just gonna power through you and get past you powered through Marcus Smart for a left-hand layup he then powered past Al Horford for a right-hand layup then they're like, all right, well, we can't do that. We got to go with the switch double. All right, double team Steph Curry, throw it to Draymond Green, corner three, Andrew Wiggins. All right, that didn't work. We already go back to switching Al Horford onto. We can't let him go left. He'll, he'll get the step back. We got to force him right. 
Steph fakes the 30-foot step back, crosses over, gets past Horford again, another layup, and it's basically game over at that point. It, it would just, the the problems that he caused, like he is still, he is the best offensive player in the NBA. I think he proved that again in these playoffs. He was not playing up to his usual standards for actually months at a time. And then coming back off the injury, coming off the bench to start the Denver series. And, you know, that series was a joke for him defensively going up against Jokic and conventional pick and roll defense and then in the memphis series you know he really was not able to shoot the ball the way he wanted to and had some terrible games but then starting in the dallas series he was that guy again he outplayed luka Doncic. he sure as hell outplayed jason tatum and as you're about to get to put together one of the best finals series this century for sure. And Curry averaged 31.2 points per game, five assists, six rebounds, and only two and a half turnovers per contest when you consider how often the ball was in Curry's hand. But I think the more impressive ones are the kind of more efficiency-based numbers. Curry, oh, yeah. 31.8 usage, 62.6 true shooting and almost as stunning as that the Celtics have an unbelievable defense that was attuned to step to stopping Stephen Curry as best they could the whole defensive scheme was built around that the Warriors had a 115.8 offensive rating against this excellent Celtics defense when Stephen Curry was on the floor in these NBA finals yeah it was ridiculous and he just broke them schematically and even with Rob Williams who was so good when they made their run to go up 22 in the third quarter they finally figured that out which was just they're going to screen off the ball Rob was going to be in the paint and they're going to be able to get some threes and rob you know wasn't moving as well i think by that point even though he still was a massive intimidator and probably made the warriors miss 12 or 13 shots in the paint just on his own in, in this game but he eventually even you know came pretty close to solving that and what Giannis, who you know, would probably still be my pick for the best player in the nba because of his defensive contributions as well and Giannis put up some crazy numbers against the celtics but the team was not very efficient and they had he had some pretty decent shooters on the floor with them they didn't have anyone else who could run pick and roll but i wouldn't say that the bucks offensive talent around Giannis was really like much inferior to what golden state had and they're just like guys who are great defensive players in any other context against kevin durant against Giannis. like they they played the other two guys in these playoffs and their offenses uh, were not able to be as good uh, in the end or Brooklyn's was technically superior, but not when KD was on the floor versus when Steph was on the floor. So, and, and I mean, you uh, add in the yeah. context of Stephen Curry being the system of the other players whose flaws would be offensively would be a bigger issue, except that they play with Stephen Curry. Draymond Green did hit two three pointers in this game and a wild mid ranger that like was late clock that he pulled. Yeah. So that was three of his five made baskets. Otto Porter only played 13 minutes. Andrew Wiggins, his shot has come and gone. So you have the Splash Brothers. And, and Jordan Poole, Gary Payton didn't make a three in this game. You know, that that never that he was contributed in a lot of other ways, but didn't really bring that. Kevon Looney is a non-shooting big man. And so the Warriors are typically playing at least one non-shooter and at least one reluctant shooter. And typically that the reluctant number is at least two. And they were able to make this offense work against an elite defense playing very well and and shifting their system as best they could because of the incandescent brilliance of Stephen Curry. Yeah, and, and in a series that I would at least consider a tough series, it, it's tough for some of these series where it just wasn't all that competitive in the end. But I would say uh, this is up there with probably the four or five best finals this century. Shaq's finals obviously were absolutely ridiculous. Dwayne Wade in 06, LeBron in 2016, 
and stuff this year and maybe Giannis last year like those are probably to me as I think about it the five best finals performances and LeBron and KD had some good ones but those those like weren't in the 17 and 18 but those almost just weren't close enough high leverage enough series almost to count so maybe it's a little unfair to discount those but in terms of just and going against this defense that I think is as good as any defense really other than maybe this Golden State one and some of the other well, Golden it, State it, ones. And especially it, it, yeah. at taking away some of the things that Stephen Curry exploits against other opponents. Derek yeah. White and Marcus Smart did a fantastic job reducing Stephen Curry's off-ball game, which has been yeah. a I, hallmark. I mean, their, top, their top six or seven players, I mean, probably they have five players who are all defense level and then two who are really good and can play really good roles within the, the defense as well. And just Steph Curry torched those guys. It was incredible. And I think now we can just kind of get into just what, what this championship means for some of these guys and just within the context of this season and also their legacy and actually where i'd like to start danny is with joe lacob and his ownership group and they this has been a a subject of some conversation that and the usual carping oh they can afford so much more than us and i think we, we've talked some about that already and kind of how that that's basically just sour grapes from owners who don't have the same commitment to winning and weren't willing to make the same investment like why can joe lacob afford this to the extent it even is affording it and, and they're making money and they certainly lost plenty of money during the pandemic by the way well because they privately financed their own arena and they busted their ass to get an arena done in san francisco where it's impossible to build anything and they managed to do that from a, a business perspective and they they wanted to win and they wanted to get that playoff revenue and even during the two down years whether it was the commitment even knowing clay thompson was probably out for the year of taking on d'angelo russell even though he wasn't even a great fit just to like get the salary slot get something that you could then trade for andrew wiggins and then even the commitment that they made for kelly Oubre using the iguodala trade exception the year afterwards they already had a crazy high payroll and who they spent untold millions on getting Kelly Oubre who didn't even help them in the end but they're willing to to do that and then extending Clay Thompson and extending Draymond and, and Steph Curry giving him the Supermax when uh, on top of the Supermax extension four years and he uh certainly <laughs> that's that's gonna kick in at a pretty good time uh so I think just the overall commitment by those guys and also I mean Joe Lacob is kind of known to be like a little bit of an asshole and, and all that but like he wants to win as much or more than any other owner in the nba and that a thousand percent matters like the lakers should if they don't have way more revenue than the warriors and they don't have this level of commitment they don't well, have and it's, this level of staff it, 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 i happy you brought up the staff and the commitment because an important part of ownership of being a good head head of the ship of of the franchise is putting the right people in charge and making allowing them to make the right to, to make the right decisions and bob myers steve kerr these players they have been given every opportunity to succeed and it is put in such stark relief for me i mean i started covering the golden state warriors while i was in law school and it was steph curry's rookie year and yeah. well, it wasn't too hard to get a credential back then huh actually, actually it kind of 
was because nobody had them. And so, so like, I mean, I'll tell the story. I said this on. Yeah, that's back, true. They probably, I don't, I don't see Ritter credentialing like <laughs> bloggers back then. No, I was the, I was the first actually. Um, yeah. So you get a regular credential. And so the, the story that I, I told this on playback is that, so Steph Curry's rookie year was 2009, 2010, his first year of the team. There were, there was nobody in the, in the locker room. So it was actually pretty easy to have conversations with the players. And late in that year, Don Nelson's the coach. And they were kind of motivated to get him the wins record, but the team's just doing terribly. Curry, I'm the only one standing there. And he just telling me because I'm I'm the only one there. He turns to me and says, I've lost more games this season than did in college and high school combined. And for me to process, I mean, you could see some of the talent there, but you have to put this in context. At that point, you know, I eventually wrote a book on some of this history. The Warriors had been one of the worst run and worst owned franchises in all of North American professional sports for decades. And there was no particular reason other than maybe Steph Curry, you know, some people thought Monte Ellis becoming that player to think that that would change. And then Lakeup and Peter Goober bought the team in July of 2010. And it wasn't all it wasn't all perfect. I mean, there are a lot of different stories here from the Chris Mullen Jersey retirement to some of the conflicts to almost trading Clay Thompson and numerous other things. But what the Warriors were able to do is understand what they had, make very specific bets, including betting that they could find a better coach than Mark Jackson. That was an important one over time. And then once they identified what they had, using the resources at their disposal, whether that was going into the luxury tax or trade rules or acquiring these draft picks and everything else to build a damn good team. And there are a lot of there there will be a lot of excuses made by a lot of other executives and a lot of other owners about how and why this Warriors team will be used. And there will be various people who will happily espouse those rationales. But the truth of the matter is very few, very few people have been have been willing to put have taken all of the steps necessary to build a team this good, even if you game in these three Hall of Fame players that have been there for all of it. It's still I mean, you know, during this run, we saw the Last Dance documentary and it's like there are so many ways that this can go wrong. And you and I both thought, you know, going back to June 13th, 2019, you know, but you and I both thought it was over. Not necessarily because Kevin Durant was leaving, but primarily for me, I mean, Durant part of it was was a consideration, but because Clay Thompson was hurt, and you and so you had the passage of yeah. time. We knew the Warriors well, were, and they had no flexibility. And no. you thought like so, you're going to waste a year of Steph Curry's prime. He was going to come back for a playoffs in which he'd be 33 that he ended up not even making in the end in the in the 21 season. You thought Draymond, who was already showing signs of aging and slowing down, that he wouldn't be able to be a defensive player of the year type player who knew what clay was going to be with an acl and then he even more so with the achilles so i've addressed this obviously when they made the finals and i think you know at that point making the finals you can say that the dynasty is continuing if you've made the finals and you know i tweeted dynasty over when they're down 3-1 because we knew kd was going to leave at that point back in 2019 that was before even the clay injury because they just we 
you're like Manny they, they got no way to replace him like what are they going to do and that's why I, I think we should shift to talking about Bob Myers and the front office and they did a lot of stuff that you and I would not have done whether it was having to give up a first rounder very lightly protected even get off of Andre Iguodala so that they could acquire D'Angelo Russell a player we knew was not worth the max contract and frankly probably so did they but just to keep the salary slot available and then the Wiggins trade I was not in favor of that Andrew Wiggins was one of the worst contracts in the NBA and I probably should have thought more I, I did I, say I, it at the I, time I was a supporter know? of it but that was primarily because of how much I hated D'Angelo Russell rather than how good I thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be on the Warriors yeah I mean it was you did say all right at least they in theory got a starting small forward but I don't think we even felt like he could be that you know that he could actually even guard anyone like that and they also picked up what eventually became the number seven pick in Kaminga who didn't really figure in winning this but is, is obviously very important going forward and well and you know, I, I wasn't in favor of that trade because also I thought if they were going to trade for a star remember that remember how they're going to trade for a star with Wiggins salary or D'Angelo Russell salary that was the whole point of all this and I thought Russell was more tradable than Wiggins plus a Wolves pick would be and nope that didn't have to make a trade there wasn't one available ended up being fine what else is is there in, in terms well, of like these the litany of moves that led us here again there was a a, a common thread that came up a couple of times during the postgame interviews and Bob Myers brought it up Draymond Green brought it up and I thought it was so fascinating because I don't know that this approach is always healthy but it ended up working out for the Warriors which was that they wanted to see this group actually like see if they could get beat and the context you know Clay Thompson missing those two years and you know and, and the circumstances of the you know as great as Toronto played in Toronto a worthy champion in 2019 but Durant and Thompson you know have dealing with injuries in that series including the ones that ended their series and that using that as a guidepost because I mean there could there were plenty of reasons especially after Warriors went 15 and 50 in 1920 to say probably not going to do it again as great as these players are maybe we can sell high on one or two of them probably not Steph obviously but and Clay maybe would have been difficult and the idea of not only betting on those three players but continuing to use them as the lens and so that doesn't mean you know, Jordan Poole wasn't necessarily a perfect fit with those guys and he got additional reps because of the injuries to Clay and Steph but the idea that Andrew Wiggins made kind of sense with that framework he was he'd be better as the fourth or third best player on a team than the second or first best player on a team which was correct and maybe that this team could get him to buy in on defense and execute on defense in a way that he never did in Minnesota that ended up being completely correct and also understanding with guys like I mean I think Kevon Looney is an is a deeply unsung hero and his path to this point is so unusual of being a rookie who dealt with all these health problems and then was such a marginal factor on the team that the Warriors before his that was before his third season declined the fourth year option on his contract sticks around and then becomes the starting center on an NBA champion well and then he also became completely irrelevant in 1920 like it looked yeah like he, he might just be like too decrepit to even be in the league and he worked on his body and it did all this stuff uh, with his diet and supplements to to get back and, and it was really becoming iron man all of a sudden the, these last two seasons started started 82 games 
Jordan Poole, another huge front office win. He was considered a reach in what was nearly an irrelevant 2019 draft. You figured maybe they would just make a trade to try to get some other guy in on the wing who might be able to help them that year or something to replace Clay, and they didn't. And then when they got out of the tax in the Wiggins trade, they could have included him, did not. Instead, they managed to negotiate with Minnesota to take all these other guys who ended up being totally irrelevant. And so Jordan Poole then blossomed. And this is also we've been remorselessly critical of them for not drafting lamella ball instead of james wiseman are we here if they draft lamella ball like jordan Poole certainly wouldn't have emerged into this player i mean is is steve kerr in an asylum somewhere is that the, is that the theory <laughs> behind it like you know i i mean i think like maybe the path of the organization it's maybe a rest- it would have been a- the same but but like the the butterfly effect might have just been, been a little bit different and you know pool definitely doesn't emerge like this if they have lamello and they're prioritizing him instead they wouldn't have needed pool to emerge like this he would have maybe been i mean you know a fourth guard off the bench a little bit or something and, and i think pool you can argue filled a role better than lamello would have filled that role uh, uh and if you think pool's defense is bad you know what would lamello have been what would he have been in the warrior system well i mean lamello he could yeah. take in, he could take some steps forward there would have been different accountability there it's a it's sure, a sure. it's a fun question to consider and yeah, i mean you, it is but it's you yeah. you tied in with something else that i think is unusual and fascinating about this Warriors team, which is they did this two-track idea and it got plenty of hype at different times about, oh, we have all these young guys and we have all these veterans. And Jordan Poole, notwithstanding, I mean, Poole played an an integral part in this Warriors success, including in game six, where he had 15 points, had a couple of big threes. But Jonathan Kaminga, not leaned on heavily in these playoffs. You and I actually thought he should play a little bit more. Moses Moody had a couple of different moments, but he did that. And then James Wise didn't play a minute for the Golden State Warriors, played a little bit for the Santa Cruz Warriors in between setbacks this year. And they didn't trade any of those guys for another elite player. You brought up how Wiggins would have probably had to be included as salary ballast in that. And I don't expect at this moment in time, and it'd be interesting to be proven wrong on this, that those guys will be the anchors of like, you know, to, to continue like the championship. I don't think this is like David Robinson to Tim Duncan or anything like that. But it is a reminder that there are still elements in place here and that that can continue to progress the passage of time is not going to help the warriors with their best players but they have these other things it's 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 an organizational anomaly I think I also want to talk a lot about Steve Kerr and the job that he did. Um, you and I, for Coach of the Year, early on, the first couple of years, you didn't have him as high as I did. And I was like, hey, how about the coach of the team that's like one of the best in the NBA? And this, I think, was his best coaching job, maybe outside of the first year when he had to install the whole new system and was a, a deserving... Actually, I think he was second that year. He was, didn't even win Coach of the Year. I think he lost to Budenholzer. Yeah, he won it the next year when he coached half the season in maybe kind of a, a makeup call but integrating guys like gary payton the second and andre Iguodala early in the year but then not late in the year and he was healthy but they decided to stop playing him in the finals after one game and nemanja bielitsa finding times where he could help in even at times that you didn't expect like switching on to luca or jason tatum and spacing the floor a little bit for this team at times or you mentioned moody coming in and the pool situation i thought was managed incredibly well where and in the Denver series, they're like, oh, yeah, like Draymond's like, oh, Jordan Poole, he's going to have to start. We're going to have to go with the pool party lineup. And what's the name of this lineup? And then two games into the Memphis series, it's clear that he just like couldn't defend. They couldn't defend well enough with him. And they were just going to have to rely on, on Steph and Clay. Uh, 
um, Andrew Wiggins for the offense and only really play two of those guards together most of the time. And he did that. He, he adjusted there and they leaned into the defense. That's always what he does. And I thought that was the right approach and relying on the brilliance of Steph to carry the offense enough, which he did in the last two series and working in Otto Porter Jr. And then the fact that Clay, Steph, and Draymond had only played 11 minutes together all regular season, starting bringing Steph off the bench. Remember Steph Curry? There's a question about whether he even would be ready to start the playoffs. And yet they still just took care of Denver as they're integrating all these guys. It's a pretty damn good Denver team during the regular season, one that actually won a playoff series last year. And this now to me is going to solidify Steve Kerr as a Hall of Famer, fourth championship as a head coach. I mean, he frankly should just get in there just as a head coach at this point. I thought it was a little dodgy. I mean, he hasn't coached enough seasons, but in terms of winning at the highest level, his record exceeded those of the 15 greatest coaches that were voted for the NBA 75. Clearly, he'll be in there now. And then you throw in his college career and uh, also he's going to be the Olympic head coach in 2024 and winning five championships as a player. Like, clearly, he's got to be in the Hall of Fame at this point. And I thought he, he again, solidified himself to me as a top five coach where we felt a little bit down on him the last couple of years. Getting this different group to defend and having, of course, having Draymond and Looney there to to do it is impressive. But Andrew Wiggins becoming the defensive player, of course, immense credit goes to Andrew Wiggins. Like who, after these playoffs, who is a better three and D player than Andrew Wiggins at this point? You know, we've, uh, Mikhail Bridges, I don't think maybe Mikhail Bridges is a little bit better guarding like smaller guys and getting and I, I trust Mikhail Bridges jump shot more but Andrew yeah, Wiggins, but, but Mikhail but, Bridges has you know like a 15 usage or something exactly right? like and, well, keeps, and, the, and the other part of it is I love players and and this is selling Mikhail Bridges a little bit short I love players who can defend point guards and point guards are so important in the modern NBA you know who is even more important in playoff basketball a lot of times than small point guards other than Stephen Curry bigger wings and I like Andrew Wiggins better on those players. He did a fantastic job on Luca. He did a fantastic job on Jason Tatum. And the 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 dominant wings are what make the current NBA world go round. And Wiggins is better in those. And I don't, you know, the offensive thing, the offensive elements are different. And you know, he he can sometimes go really cold from three. And the Celtics were challenging him at times to make shots. He ended yeah. up yeah, four. Th- three and D is almost a misnomer. But I guess you would just say like non non primary scorer wing you know yeah, like, i mean like og Ananobi would probably be in that conversation too like i like og maybe guarding like bigger players like centers a little bit better than wiggins or like the, wiggins, maybe I more the like powery scorer. the more powerful wings like Kawhi and lebron who the warriors did not face in these playoffs or Giannis. yeah although wiggins has guarded lebron pretty well too mm-hmm. um but yeah so i i think he just he was certainly worth his contract to the warriors and didn't deserve to be an all-star starter i scoffed at him being in the the all-star conversation even this year i think he's proven after these playoffs that that wasn't total hyperbole uh you know clay thompson i was so worried about what his defense would be and he did not co game six clay in this one he missed a bunch of open threes he was five out of 20 but his defense as as we talked about was much improved and i still don't think they win this championship 
without him and without him coming back and you know, he's still Jordan Poole probably you might say is a better offensive player than him at times but just the size of Clay and he still makes their switching defense happen right like he is unless it was him guarding John Morant he held up pretty well in isolation against most of these guys enough that the rest of their defense could work and he well, still had good size and he also just gets guarded like crazy on the pro and that's exactly where one to go which is that Clay Thompson having his five for 20 here that that's not a great and he took some bad shots in that but part of what Clay Thompson brings to the Golden State Warriors and this would be different if you were in a different place in some ways better in some ways worse is the existential crisis that it gives teams and there was a great play a great play of that with Andrew Wiggins dunk in game five where the Boston Celtics did not leave Clay Thompson or Stephen Curry and so if somebody else can create an advantage or they can have an advantage created for them it limits where the help can come from and so Clay Thompson being that five alarm fire for opposing defenses whether he's eight 18 for 20 or 5 for 20 is extremely important for the theory and the execution of the Golden State Warriors offense. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if Poole wasn't going to be able to play as much as well. Let's start moving into some historical context here now. And that is now the seventh NBA championship for the Warriors, although the three previous ones before this era came in Philadelphia. Two of but, the three. Oh, yes, two of the three. Yeah, sorry, 75, obviously, with, with Rick Barry. So, but that. That is third now they have more the Warriors have more championships than the Chicago Bulls fourth championship in the last eight seasons last team to do that was the Bulls with six in an eight-year span not many other teams uh, have done that the Lakers the Showtime Lakers did it the 80s Celtics did not do it the 2000s Lakers did not do it they got four and nine although with two completely different teams other than just Kobe Bryant and then you really got to go back to the Celtics dynasty before that and, and so this is to me now one of the top four dynasties in NBA history 60s Celtics 80s Lakers 90s Bulls it's so fascinating how the context shifts for the Warriors based on the things that have happened in the past so you they win the title in 15 and then they lose it in 16 the best regular season team of all time which is a to me a part they winning the championship is essential for a dynasty but I think that that puts the Warriors in a different place to also during this run have the greatest regular season team in history and I don't think there is a credible argument that anybody else should should hold that honor and then they win you know add Kevin Durant win the next two titles and then they you know lose to the Raptors go into the wilderness for a couple of years and that counts too but then they win this year without Kevin Durant without and, and Andrew Wiggins is a wonderful player but he's he's not that you know top 10 player in the league or anything like that and so to me what this does is the Warriors already had the it wasn't just KD because they had already won one championship and they very easily yeah. could have won a second and if Kevin Durant you know you and I did a podcast on July 4th 2016 where we lamented that we didn't get to see what Durant and the Warriors would look like without each other and we still didn't get to see that for 16 17 17 18 and 18 19 but the yeah. Warriors uh, although winning, we did see it a little bit in 18 19 when KD went down yeah a little bit when he went down but this championship to me it's serves as a marker for those who 
wanted to who wanted diminish and i don't even even understand why people do that you get nothing out of it it's all these like arguments that nobody can win but what this says is still a damn good team still a team that can play at a championship level and to do that not in the hypothetical of like what could they have done in 2016 without kevin durant or 18 or 19 but at a point when so many of your principal players are in their 30s i mean this is stephen curry's age 33 season draymond green's 31 34 now yes We'll talk more about and yeah. Clay 31, Draymond 31, and those guys have some miles on them in terms of the regular seasons and the playoffs that they have gone through six finals in eight years and injuries to Steph early in his career to Clay Thompson in recent vintage. Yeah. And Dr- Draymond with his back this year, sure. Too. I mean, we didn't really even know if he was even going to be able to come back. Exactly. And so it puts it puts all of that in a different context. And the Warriors were already a dynasty, irrespective of it, that is an organizational honor, not a specific player or anything like that. And that this team still has their fastball is fantastic for the league it would make you think about where you know like how guys age like that you maybe you don't and 30 isn't a death knell for some of these teams some of these players because these it's not just like oh they're they're still here and it's actually you know like young tim duncan or something like that it's like no these are you know these are the best players on the team and Wig- and wiggins is of course an integral part of it and pool and everything else but like it's still this core that is uh, that is driving a lot of it yeah i mean they have i think the best offensive player in the nba and they have the best defensive player in the nba at least in these playoffs i think that in the end was the case maybe Giannis would still be a a, a potential there but i mean draymond is still more versatile to me than Giannis is so it's it's close i, I probably erred in saying he was obviously the the best but what you said about oh you know why do people need this oh like kind of dismissing the warriors and stuff in particular i think even more than anyone because they got kd like i understand that yes you could say the warriors probably were, were really good without him and maybe they would assign just someone else who is like you know their third best player or fourth best player but was still really good with the cap spike instead of kevin durant who was the best player in the 17 18 finals i think steph was the best player in many other series that they played during that period but you just you didn't know you didn't know what they would have been there was a question now there is no longer a question they have made four finals without kd because remember in 2019 he was injured in the second round and they made two finals with him so in some ways and i still almost kind of wish that kd hadn't signed there because i think the story would have been more interesting without him there we also saw probably the highest level of basketball that had ever been played but it took some of the drama out of it too and then for steph curry i've talked about this some after the conference finals but now especially after after this incredible NBA Finals that he's had. The list of players who have played at this level at age 34 is very limited. Michael Jordan, age 34, was the 97 Finals against the Jazz. Then age 35, he was Finals MVP in 98, had that incredible Game 6. LeBron, age 35, won a championship in 2020 with the Lakers. Age 34, he was in his first year with the Lakers and was injured, still playing at a very high level, obviously. I think we can agree that he was at this type of level still. Kareem, 
Kareem won a finals MVP at 38 and was just getting out of his absolute prime in the early 80s. I think you would have to say he was in that level. And then Bill Russell, the last season that he won a championship, age 34 in 1969. To be at this age, playing at this level, and also be in the NBA Finals playing at an exceedingly high level, that's the list, basically, of guys who have been this good at this age. Pretty good. And then the NBA notes had this as well, that Steph has won four championships and two regular season MVPs. Seven players have done that. Kareem, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Magic, Michael Jordan, and Bill Russell. And Andre Iguodala said he thought Steph was the best point guard of all time in his presser. I can't quite go there yet. I still think it's, uh, Magic is it. But there's really no argument that Steph is number two at point. He's not number two. Yeah, he he is number two. And yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, well, and you can't argue about it yeah, because and it's if, so obviously true. And the other element of this is I think there isn't an argument that anybody other than Steph Curry is the greatest player six foot three or shorter in NBA history. Oh, yeah, for sure. Six five or I mean, he's probably the greatest player under six six. Yeah, because Jordan was six six, right? Yeah. Well, he's at least listed at six six. Kobe's listed at six six. Also, if you talk about the best player, let's think of it as this era, which we might say began in maybe 2010 or began with the LeBron going to the Heat, say LeBron is the best player of this era. Very tough call to me at this point of whether Steph or KD is the second best player of this era post 2010. It's KD has more longevity. He started his career earlier. He was winning scoring titles and making it to the NBA Finals basically before Steph even began his career. And he's a a year younger and he's definitely more accomplished. I would argue that Steph Curry maybe has reached a higher level at times than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant did play at an incredible level in the 17 and 18 finals, but he also had Steph Curry (laughs) for help in those runs. So, and the defense was still, as Draymond talked about a little bit ago, geared towards him. So I I think it's very, very close. I think think Steph Curry, to me, is a better offensive player than Kevin Durant, but KD obviously with more size and and the ability to even guard LeBron James in those series and more longevity, maybe you'd still have to put KD above him. But it's it's very close. And that's the way those guys' careers go from here, I think will will tip the balance of that. Certainly looks like Steph is going to be more relevant here going forward unless things change a lot for KD. Although we can't forget how amazing KD was in the playoffs just last year. It wasn't his fault that they lost, obviously. That's anything else we can say here? Like his history-wise, just things that stuck out to you for from this Warrior season, this, play, this playoff run that we didn't get I, to? I mean, I, it came up a couple of times, but the context that the Warriors, and they were missing numerous key players, but they went 15 and 50 two years ago. And they got, you know, they, they had the worst record in the league. They got the, the, the Wiseman pick was their pick. It wasn't someone else's. And then last year, 39 and 33, they missed the playoffs by losing to Memphis in the play-in. And then despite dealing with injuries, they're 53 and 29. They... I brought up the net rating when when Draymond when Draymond and Steph were out there. But if you want the the full season overall figure, Golden State plus five point two net rating. Boston was at plus seven point four, by the way. And it's a it's an impressive performance. And and to do this with a star player who just turned thirty four, and a lot of these other principals, and a changing cast, and to to have never faced an elimination game in these entire playoffs 
is quite the accomplishment. Yeah, that's, I think maybe we're, I do want to talk a little bit about Boston still too, but this was a dominant run. And if they, we've said it several times now, but if they hadn't lost that game by 50 to Memphis, let's say they just had a close loss in that game or just kind of lost by 10 or whatever, and then came back and won that game six. And yeah, it was a little bit of a slog, but it, they still were up 3-1. I mean, they were, they were down 2-1 in this series, but I mean, there should be zero doubt in anyone's mind of who the better team was in this series by the end. I mean, the Celtics just couldn't do anything on offense in the last three games of the series. Like, it, there's no question about it. And they had no defensive answer for Steph. And Dallas, they're up 3-0. Denver, they're up. And look at the, the list of players, too, that they beat. You know, Luka, Nikola Jokic, like guys well, who... And, and, and yeah. by the way, again, the recency bias, the Warriors dispatched the Mavericks in five games. And you and I both... But you and I both picked the Mavs in that series. Yeah. De- they had just knocked off the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. That, that Mavs team is good. And, and I, I think we're going to see that again next year, too. Like, they are really good. And so that, you know, it, it will get it will probably get lost in the shuffle because of how thoroughly the Warriors won that series that Dallas is a very good team. And the Memphis Grizzlies, while John Morant is so essential to their offense, their defense without John Morant on the floor this year was absolutely nasty. And it was nasty in that series. And the Nuggets weren't threatening in that same respect, but they did have Jokic, who was the deserving regular season MVP. And as you mentioned, without Murray, they won a playoff series last year against the team that was worse than the Warriors, but still capable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they made that Nuggets team look stupid for three games. And then the Nuggets deserved a lot of credit for how they battled back, obviously. But yeah, this is a very solid finals run, to be sure. And this Boston team was really good as well. And look at the players that this Boston team had to run through to get here you could maybe make the argument that the celtics lost these finals in game six of the conference finals they probably wouldn't have won anyway but they gave it much more difficult when they had to go play that do or die game seven barely made it then had to fly to the west coast they looked so good in the, in terms of energy in that first game and then they out energied the warriors in the third game as well but they just weren't able to bring that level of energy in part because steph curry and the warriors defense just made it so they couldn't play their bench at all like their bench just got totally Totally destroyed in this game six two and they just they had to play guys so many minutes that they just couldn't it, the problem just continued to compound itself where they had fewer and fewer guys who could play and then they couldn't score even worse and they had to play those guys even more and, and it just got worse and worse but maybe if they were more fresh things could have been different for them in this series that's a possibility robert williams could have gotten some more time off robert williams said he doesn't need anything more from his knee other than rest i really hope that's true as we talked about for jason tatum really disappointing series 18 of 51 in the paint and, and you mentioned the 48 percent true shooting overall and um, we'll talk about the celtics offseason but they certainly could use a guy who could penetrate a little bit more now i'm not, not saying they should have held on to dennis Schroeder or some shit like that because he would have killed their both their offense and their defense but someone who can do some more off the dribble and that was the thinking when they got kemba walker and all that like you need someone who's better on defense than that and maybe it's even more of like a six-man guy who can just come in whenever jalen or jason are off the floor in the playoffs yeah sort of the but, theory of jordan Poole, incidentally yeah and jason tatum I mean, part of his problem is that he just didn't have the athleticism to finish at the basket and to blow by guys and 
I definitely think he did wear down as well, and and he can get better. Jalen Brown can get a lot better uh, offensively as well. Jalen Brown working on his handle this offseason, just watching footage of Victor Oladipo and Gary Payton ripping him. Yeah. Now, I mean, worth noting, Jalen Brown, we should have talked about that. He had a a wonderful game in this one with 34 points, 12 of 23, hit some crazy threes as the Celtics went 8 of 14 from three in the second half, but, you know, couldn't get anything going from two still. And and, I mean, this defense is going to continue to be good i think you just as the celtics the lesson is we are a really good team we're young a bunch of our best players are in 25 maybe we can supplement with one more guy we can integrate Derek white a little bit more maybe get a little bit more out of him offensively in the next playoffs and but i think you just continue going forward with this group and maybe add one more piece hopefully you get a healthy rob williams in the playoffs next year the east is going to be a minefield next year the west is going to be crazy i can't i'm already can't wait for, for next year but i think the, the celtics this is a really good team they were one of the most would have been one of the most unlikely teams to ever win a title i think there are 50 to 1 odds at the start of this year no one was like are they going to be over 500 are they going to make the playoffs and then like but they really have before i expect them to have a totally dominant regular season next year just with the level of defense that they can play and they i would probably pick them if we had to pick it right now to be the number one seed in the east next year so they're fine going forward i don't think there's some big lesson to take from this i think they just got to get better internally and maybe get one more guard who can drive the ball or maybe one more if failing that maybe one awesome shooter on the perimeter that you just have to really worry about and they're going to be a great team again next year i expect so this isn't really the time yet but it's sort of a natural stopping point to thank you again for being listeners being subscribers of course we have so much more to discuss we already recorded for over an hour before this game even today but we're really happy to have you on board here hope that you'll stick around if you're on the free pod please consider subscribing we got great draft scouting reports five of those are in the books now we did keegan murray earlier today going into the draft and obviously free agency just a ton of benefits from being a subscriber and one of those benefits is our discord which is really fun to be a part of if you're a total access subscriber as well to talk with other huge dorks you know there is no bigger basketball dorks on the planet than the people who listen to this podcast hopefully and we'll be back certainly by sunday maybe even earlier than that with more draft stuff and all the rest of the team previews and the mock-off season is less than a week and a half away now we've got a ton of great content coming but this is a natural point to thank you so much for being subscribers and we'll talk to you all next time so this was a collective effort and strength in numbers is alive and well (laughs) i can't wait there was this one player on the grizzlies who tweeted strength in numbers after they beat us in the regular season and it pissed me off so much i can't wait to retweet that thing freaking bum that I had to watch that. I'm just like, this freaking cloud. Okay. 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 Sorry. That memory just popped up. You're going to mock us? Like, you ain't ever been there before, bro. We've been there. We know what it takes. So to be here again, hold that. We'll do a last couple for Clay. Mark Spears, background. Twitter fingers. Can you believe it?